I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! The Roll for Initiative podcast, volume number three, issue 134. This is 2014. It's the new year. DM Vince sitting here alongside the... Undisputed WWE Heavyweight Champion DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Our Intercontinental Champion DM Nick. Uh, hi. <laughs> and our United States Champion DM Chad. Yo. And I am Vince McMahon. Oh, I don't know. Whatever. So it's the first show, <laughs> 2014. Yeah, I ran out of belts at that point, you know, since they consolidated two of them recently. Yeah, I'm talking wrestling. Ha ha, all you people hate it. Good. Anyway. What? You didn't want the Divas title? No. <laughs> No, that's as much, as much as a joke as the ECW title was at the end. So, anyway, uh, so uh, Matt, you haven't been around. What have you been doing? Not a whole lot of gaming, just a lot of social stuff. A friend had a book release party, and then there was a Christmas party. So, yeah, my gaming life's been kind of sad. Social life's been fairly well. So, nothing yeah. exciting. Well, we've all had a good Christmas and a good New Year, so we're in 2014, folks. Not really. Yay! Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's too early to tell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're recording this before New Year's Eve. <laughs> we're time traveling podcasters. We are yeah. talking to the future right now. Yes. Hello, true. future people. Hello, future people. That is correct. Stole that from the Order 66 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not future. that I ever listen. No, no one listens to the Order 66 podcast because, uh, I don't know. So we have nothing really to talk about. Chad, do you have anything you want to tell us? Well, for Christmas, I know Santa is bringing me the new uh, deluxe brought you, brought you. white. I, they they reissued Wizards of the Coast, reissued uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> the white box rules in a very nice wooden uh, case. And I believe Santa is bringing that for me along with the original pay, uh, box set of the pace setter chill rules, because I've been a very good little DM this year. You mean he already brought it to you, right? As far as I know, I mean, I paid for it. I mean, Santa <laughs> uh, made it. <laughs> now it's under the tree. Dare Santa? Can't wait to open it up and see what I got. You already opened it up. This is 2014, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I loved it. I'll play it again and again. Yeah. Chill. I think I have one version of Chill. I don't have a box. I just have a book. I don't, I don't, I didn't know the yeah, box. Yeah, you probably have the, uh, the one. It's got like a, I don't know, it looks like a zombie superhero actually on the front of it. It's that blue kind of book with that kind of wild art with the face on it. 
Oh, I got the original box set right here. Mine's black. It says chill on the side. It's in my shelf. I see it from here. Okay. Uh, well, the pace setter one is kind of a brownish box, and it has yep, a picture. Brownish of... box. I got it right here. It's got a picture of a dude like in a cemetery. Exactly. Yeah, that's the one that uh, I've been really wanting to get my hands on, and uh, I decided that this year Santa would let me get my hands on it. I have it right here. So I'm excited. I'm going to run it at GaryCon doing a Kolchak the Night Stalker adventure. I think that'll be very fun. I hope. Okay. <laughs> so I I'll even to... do the whistle. Okay, keep going. I had to get the book, so uh, yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It says chill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they, 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 they uh, Pace Sutter sold the rights to the game, and I forgot the name of the game. Oh, mine's Mayfair. That's it. Mayfair picked it up, and so they put out a different edition. But uh, I just, I'd always heard good things about the original Pace Setter version, and so I really wanted to get it, and I'm hoping it during GaryCon that I can get Bruce Hurd to uh, come and sign it since he, I believe he was the art director on that box set. Cool. I don't know who did this one. Looking at the inside of it. I've never actually actually opened it, opened it. I just bought it and put it on the shelf. Yeah, chills and it's a great game genre, you know? It's it's not it's not Cthulhu. It's more like traditional monsters, vampires, werewolves, ghosts, that sort of thing. And I so I thought, what better game to put Kolchak into than Chill? And it still has the original pamphlet in the beginning that says, read this first. So I don't know how I mm. that. But it's pretty cool. Anyway, we have a show to do. Enough about chill. Exactly. Chill out. I'll put chill. my box of chill away. Bye. Chill on chill. Chilling on chill. I don't know. So let's um let's over to Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Sage advice. Uh, we have uh, some emails and we have a voicemail this week. Uh, if you'd like to call in, 570-865-4210, the hotline. You can call and uh, talk as long as you want. Leave a message. Just don't make it 10 minutes, you know. You know <laughs> but uh, feel free to ask a question or if you want to write us, staff at gmail.com. You can visit us on the forum, forums, osrgaming.org. Find us on Facebook, RFI Podcast. I'm sorry, Facebook.com slash RFI Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, but it's not really updated much. It just releases new shows. That's mostly what it's used for. If you're waiting for an announcement and you're one of those people that just sit on Twitter updating every 140 characters, I believe it is. Yeesh. And have to yeah, I've never really understood that whole thing. Well, you know, some people have to tell everybody what they're doing. So nothing there's anything wrong with that, but, you know. Yeah, it's, there's it's amusing. anything wrong with that. It's amusing to reach out to like famous people and actually have them like interact with you that you normally wouldn't otherwise. So yes, it's it's very fun reaching out, to, especially to football quarterbacks and saying, <laughs> and having them tell you shut up. But anyway, yeah. or or getting uh, blocked by uh, geek icons. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. He sucks. Anyway, we won't go there. He doesn't even know who I am. He probably just saw some bad comment, blocked me, and doesn't even know who the heck I am anymore. So it doesn't matter. Would it be a particular uh, person that we know? Yes. That... Who actually recorded a bumper for our show. 
That was that was before he he uh, blocked me, and I said the insulting things. To him. <laughs> oh. He's a bandwagon jumper. I don't care. He is. And the uh, and the views of events do not express the no, actual views of uh, thoughts <laughs> of the Rolf. <laughs> Yeah, and I actually happen to have an autographed shake weight signed by that person. Yes, I heard that was kind of creepy when they signed it. Uh, Felicia Day was really creeped out by it and was really looking to not sign it until I used peer pressure by showing that the other person had already signed it, at which point she did, begrudgingly did. What is a a shake weight if I might reluctantly ask? Just Google it. Okay. And uh, yes, so I have a glorious picture of me and Felicia Day where it's like she's kind of leaning in, but you're like, I really don't want to be here. And me smiling, holding the shake weight that she just signed. Felicia Day. That's all I have to say. (laughs) I don't say I dislike her, but I don't like her. She's not one of my top ten. I think she's okay. I don't know. Some people were obsessed with her. Uh, we we could go down a whole rat hole on uh, geekdom and their need for celebrities to feel accepted, but that's, yeah, that's best for a podcast that doesn't talk about first edition Dungeons and Dragons. Absolutely right. So our first voicemail comes in from guess who? Guess who? Nick? Uh, DM Kojo? Yes. Yes. What do I win? A no uh, prize. You win a Marvel. Oh, prize. awesome! But it's actually never going to show up and. That's okay. That's how Marvel did it for decades. Well, they're not to acknowledge <laughs> the fact that you got one either. So, Okay, great. Well, at least we're consistent. Well, mute your mics, and here comes the voicemail. Hello there, guys. It's DM Kojo calling. Hey, just wanted to throw a question out there that comes up from time to time in my games, and I guess I've never seen a ruling on it, uh, specifically how it's supposed to be handled. But what do you do when your uh, players, characters enter a room and there's some kind of bad guy in the room, some kind of monster, and you you describe the room first and then do the combat? Or do you do the combat first and then describe the room after they defeated the monster? My thought is there might be things in the room that can help during the encounter. So do you describe it, but do they really have time to examine the room if there's something in the room that's trying to kill them? <laughs> so I was just curious how you guys play that when uh, when the players enter a room where there's some kind of creature there. So any thoughts on that are much appreciated. Thanks much. Bye. Well, thank you, DM Kojo. Uh, my philosophy on that is I don't describe anything unless the players actually look around during the combat because they're focused on the combat. That's just how I work things. What about you, Nick? Um, I I pretty much do the same thing. It really depends on the situation. If, if there's like uh, a thief sneaking into the room, I'll probably describe the room to him since yeah. he's hiding in shadows. But, I mean, if it's something like they open the door and there's like a bunch of orcs, I'd say, okay, there's like a dozen orcs there. Well, initiative. <laughs> yeah, like and, looking around. I mean, right. Then I would, and I then I would probably do like you to uh, do like each segment for whoever it is. Okay, what are you doing? <laughs> and if they say, "Hey, I'm looking for," I'm looking around the room. Okay, uh, during your action, this is what you see, and that's what I would do. So, yeah. majority of the time, it would be like you said, combat first, and then 
descriptions later. And we'll go over to Chad. What about you, Chad? Well, I take a little bit different tact on that one, I guess, than you guys. I mean, I, I, I give a basic description of the room. Uh, and then, of course, I, I, I mentioned that there is a screaming horde of orcs in there at the very end of it. Uh, but the idea behind it is, you know, you go into – if you walked into a room and there was somebody there getting ready to attack you – you know, you're not in, you're not like in limbo. And the only thing there is, is that guy, obviously they know if they're in a small room or a large room, they know if they're in what looks to be a kitchen or a feast hall, you know, or, or Royal chamber, you know, or something like that. Now I don't give them detailed, uh, analysis, uh, of the room. I don't talk about, the pattern on the curtains. I don't talk about, you know, the left, the third drawer to the right is open. Uh, but, you know, I say, okay, uh, you know, they say, I, I, all right, you pick the lock and the door opens. And what you see before you is a long hallway. Uh, and at the end of that hallway, there are, there is a giant spider and it is already starting to rush towards you. Now, there could be a lot more to that long hallway, but it's enough for them to know that they're in a, you know, that they have opened a door to a long hallway and there's a spider at the end of it. Uh, I might mention, you know, uh, how, how, you know, the, 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 the ceiling is roughly about, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, 10 feet tall and 10 feet high. The hallway is about five feet wide. It's a lot. But that's something they would know. You know, you no, got to give I them disagree. what they would I know. Too. I disagree because mm. having actually trained in combat situations. Oh, okay. Well, they're going to you know, know they're in a hallway, though. I mean, they're not going to think they're, they're in the lavatory. They're not going to the dimensions. They're not going to okay, know. Well, the, you don't have to give them the exact dimensions. You might say roughly 10 feet high, 5 feet wide, and there's a spider in the end. That's rushing you're in a hallway, you see a dozen orcs roll initiative. Okay, I could go that. I could go that round. I mean that I could go that that far. But I would definitely tell them, you know, the general description of the room or or the environment that they've just entered because you know, if if they turn around and say, "Well, am I am I in a hallway or am I in a bedroom?" and I turn around and said, "Well, you don't know. You only know that the, you know." They would know if you walk well, in. You're, you know, you're going to know the general. If you're going to do that, it, it's got, in my opinion, it's got to be as general as possible. I, it, and, you, and you can keep it general. You can just say you're in a hallway. You're in what looks to be a bedroom. Right. You know, I mean, the big bed over there kind of gave that clue away. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but you're in the kitchen. How do I know? Because there's like pots and pans and there's a big fireplace in the corner. But do they know that the, uh, the third cabinet to the right is slightly ajar and there's a wand? No, they don't know that. Uh, they're going to need to dispatch the opponent and then do a search. Uh, but prior to that, I I'll give them a general description of where they are. And then, and then I end it with, and by the way, there's this and it's about to attack you. What do you do? Well, you just do it like you just do it the opposite. You'll throw the monster at the end of the description. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I give them a base description of where they are, and then I let them know this is what is now happening. Well, all right. So we have a difference of opinion there, and let's go over to Matt. I actually do it similar to how Chad does it. 
I will give them a brief rundown of what the room is. They open it up. There's you see the walls are lined with bookshelves, and uh, yeah, there's a giant uh, horde of kobolds hanging out in there for no reason. <laughs> so it's yes, split. we're split down the middle. There you go. Yep. So is he, not everyone agrees with me automatically because I so podcast. No. There we agree to disagree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> This will be the blood uh, flute feud that splits the podcast in half. That's right. No, it's the it's the uh, cleric issue that's always been the split. Uh, it actually reminds me of the old kids in the hall skit where they had the uh, like twenty they're like twenty old women and they go we're twenty old women who agree to disagree. <laughs> How about this? I'll bake you a cake. Remember that one? That was kids, that one. Kids in, yeah, the, the guy was supposed to go to Vegas. Never mind. It's kids in the hall cares. Okay. Anyway, so let's go on to our emails. If you're a kids in the hall fan, I do apologize. Go watch the show. It's great. Uh, first one comes in from Vander. Uh, he says, hey, guys, I recently discovered your podcast. And I have to say how much I enjoyed listening to episode 132. I will be scouring through your earlier issues to listen to some more 1E80D goodness. So he's a brand new fan. Listened to one episode and got hooked. That's awesome. After- First one's free. Mm-hmm. The rest, <laughs> the rest are like Pringles. You just can't stop. Right. Heroin. If you're not hooked in a week, your money back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After a 25 year hiatus from D and D, A D and I recently started DMing a Greyhawk campaign with some new raw recruit players. Nice. And your roll finish podcast will certainly give me inspiration in running the campaign. Game on, Vanda. So well, Vander, you got to look back on our previous episodes where we talked about World of Greyhawk. Yeah, there's quite a few of them we did, right? Yeah, there's some really uh, yummy, crunchy, gamey goodness there. <sighs> with butter. With a thick, chewy nougat center. Matt agreed with that big thump of the microphone. Yes. Thump, thump. And thought he died here, chewy nougat all over. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely the first show of 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, We're off to it's a It's like we forgot start. how the podcast Mm, yeah, yes, At, got two our, weeks off and forgot how to podcast. Tech stuff works so well. Yes, two weeks off, forgot how to podcast. Yeah. It, Thank you, Vander. Please continue listening. If you have any more questions, feel free to write in. Uh, go to the forums, join in on the fun, osrgaming dot org. Next one comes from DM Dan, and he has a, three questions for each of us hosts. So I'll read off the questions, and then we'll go around to see what everybody says about the answers. Starting. Love the podcast, especially with the addition of DM Chad. Hey, you got two fans Woo-hoo! now, Chad? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a roll. The podcast is reinvigorated, re-reinvigorated, and has some energy and enthusiasm as the older podcast had. So what? During the one... Never mind. I have three fun questions for each of the hosts. Okay. Question number one. We surveyed. No, kidding. What is your favorite old school published magazine by TSR? Either A, D, and D. Oh, let me back that up. What is your favorite old school published module by TSR? Either A, D, and D, or BX. So start. We'll start with Matt. Oh, favorite old school module. Hmm. First edition or before? First edition or before? Mm-hmm. I actually enjoy the Tomb of Horrors. Two more hearts. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I enjoy the it, – it, I won't, may not necessarily run it as exactly like Tomb of Horrors, but doesn't mean I won't steal some stuff from it and just torture my players. <laughs> oh. And uh, Nick. Wow. Um, 
I was going to say the Against the Giant series, but I really, I really have a soft spot for uh, Against the Cult of the Reptile God. I don't know why, but I, I love that adventure. I love that module. Okay. Because it just, for me, it has a little bit of everything in it. It's got the town. It's got the dungeon. It's got a little bit of a, a wilderness exploration going on. So I think it's got great bits of everything in there. I love it. Good. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Chad. Well, I'm actually kind of torn. I like uh, my two favorite, I guess I'll say then, because I'm, I am actually torn on this one, is Lost Caverns of Sajkamp. Mm-hmm. And in search of the unknown. Ooh! Oh wow! I love in search of the unknown. That's my nostalgia one. That was the first. Uh, that was the first module that that I ever played in, and even before uh, the keep on the Borderlands was in search of the unknown. It's like your first love. You never forget it. You never forget it. But yeah. but Lost Caverns is plot wise. You know, just just. Everything, I guess you'd say, uh, that makes the writing of a module good. I like Lost Caverns of Sajkamp. But yeah, that's a for good one. pure versatility, I just you can turn Lost Cav- you can turn Search of the Unknown into anything you want it to be. It's mm. probably, in my opinion, the most versatile module ever created. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see. Mine would have to be Into the Forest. Or <laughs> I can't even say. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. And meaning nitwit. Uh, anyway, so no, I like B4 The Lost City. That's probably one of my favorite ones. Yeah, that's a pretty cool one, too. Oh, yeah. I really love that one. I'm just whenever I whenever I tell people to, for a module that's uh, to go for, it's always B4. I love B4. That one's kind of, it's very pulp kind of like in, in its uh, in its feel, I, yeah. I guess. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like Conan the Barbarian kind of thing. Okay. Okay, second question is, what is the longest run player character you have ever played in either basic or AD&D from the beginning, meaning started at first or second level? And what level did they attain? We'll start with Chad. Oh, yeah, that one's, uh, I've mentioned him actually uh, when we did the uh, magic, uh, we did the the podcast on magic. That was Araman, uh, A-H-R-I-M-A-N. Uh, who I later found out was an actual evil god in Indian mythos, I think. But uh, he was a magic user, started out neutral, uh, actually started out good. Uh, and he, he over the years, he, he kind of went the way of Raceland, I guess. He went kind of neutral. And by the end of the run, he was, I believe, something like 17th, 18th level uh and he was lawful evil and uh i always had a ball playing him he uh he he wanted to be a god and he was a megalomaniac and just lots of fun to play cool matt well thinking back i i've come to realize that i've never actually played in a long first or basic campaign i was always the dm um, yeah, I've only done got to play one shots, and it just hit me. I'm like, wow, what is wrong with you? You've lived a, such a poor, pathetic life that you've never actually been a player in a first edition campaign. Yes, go hang your head in shame yes, right now. I shall. I shall go shun yeah. myself. Shunned. You're shunned. Quick, hit his wire so he can't talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> 
Hey, Matt is no longer with us now. So, uh, <laughs> Nick, what do you think? Gosh, um, longest run characters. Uh, I would. I got two of them. I I can think of. Uh, one is Dengar. He's a fighter. Cool. And I think he had uh, attained like ninth level. I'm uh, just going off the top of my head as I recall. And the other one is a magic user by the name of Nicodemus. And uh, he has, he's attained, he got up to 11th level. Cool. And I think he died in Tomb of Horrors. Oh. Yeah. Tomb got him. Yeah. To- <laughs> Big surprise, huh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Tomb got him. It was the, um, what it was that that statue, the four armed gargoyle. Hmm. Yikes. Yeah. Oh well. Well, the longest character I ever played got to tenth level, and mostly I DM like Matt does. But when I did have a chance to play, I did play a uh, fighter that turned cavalier, uh, Sir Ashton of Blackmore. And he actually turned out to be a really stupid knight, uh, as in, like, just became dumb. Because <laughs> I had fun with another character in the group who was playing a paladin, and his name was Xander with an X. And uh, we became the two dumb paladin slash knight in the group. So the guy would say, we need you to go to the north to find... And we would just ride off to the north. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even hear the rest of the sentence. No, I didn't. And then there was this one time someone was DMing, wasn't the great Joe DM. It's someone else, uh, our oh. friend who was in my, her name was Stephanie. She was DMing for the first time, so we decided to go double the annoyance on her. And uh, she was like, head to the north and seek him out. So we ran to the north seeking out seek him. Mm. So we ran to the temple. We were supposed to go screaming, looking for seek him inside the temple. So you know, that's some of the stupid things that we've done. <laughs> well, I should say uh, that my character only got to the level that he got to because he was played in a series under three different DMs over time. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, to get to 10th level under in a single campaign. That's, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. When you're younger and you don't just give experience points out like candy, it's very easy. Yeah. Well, when Araman first started out, it was, we, we were quite a bit younger at that time in his very early days. So I'm sure he had a jump start there. <laughs> Young and innocent Chad. Yes, yes, but then we hit college and I started hitting better GMs. <laughs> Life became much harder for him. Yeah. Okay, so the last question he has, do you have a favorite gaming world that you prefer to play in? I'll start this one. I think probably out of all of them is I'm going to say Dragonlance is probably one of my favorites or Ravenloft if you want to count even though it's not a first edition setting, but it's pretty much close to Dragonlance. So, Nick, what about you? I like World of Greyhawk. It's my favorite. Figure. Hands down. Yep. The Chad, you're probably a Greyhawk or two, right? Greyhawk, you know, that's one I was actually thinking about just now. But, I, I, you know, Greyhawk's one of my favorite, but I think it just gets tipped out by the Gazetteers. Oh. I love the Gazetteer worlds. Oh, I mean, okay. they're so well. If you could get your hands on the original various Gazetteers, it just... Uh, they were, in my opinion, the best documented of all the campaign settings TSR ever put out. I got a question about those real quick. Would those mm-hmm. be real easily like ported over to AD&D? 
Oh yeah, we used them for AD and D. Oh, you did? Okay, cool. Yeah, that was the world Araman lived in, and and that's why he tried to become a god through the radiance. But well, I'm gonna uh, have to look into those. They're they're excellent. They're excellent. Okay. I I suggest uh, Alphasia is really a good one. Uh, uh, I'd probably start with uh, though. Uh, well, you know, Thaisha or Alphasia. Those are probably two of my favorite ones. Okay, cool. And Matt, for me. I actually really enjoy Waterdeep and the Forgotten Realms because I just love that city system box set they put out. That mm. that box set with all the maps and just it, it's like yeah, it's a great box set. And if you play in Waterdeep, I don't care what edition, get that box set. It is like a miniaturized version of the Invincible Overlord when it comes to details of that city. Wow. It's it doesn't quite lay out every building, but it tells you the main ones and where they are and what part of town and it gives you the rules of the land and what the punishment is for different crimes and different levels of crimes and it's just so detailed that you can really make uh Waterdeep feel very unique rather easily because it's only like 90 some pages compared to some of the massive giant tomes that were released later because it didn't get bogged down into the deep history. It was just, this is the city. These are the people in it. And this, these are the laws of the land. So I like that. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because by the time they came out with Waterdeep and we're really focusing on the forgotten realms, they're really hitting a period of time when TSR was doing a lot more detail in their game worlds as opposed to when they were doing Greyhawk, which at that time they weren't really putting that kind of detail into the world. Uh, so, yeah, I can totally see uh, Waterdeep being a very detailed box set. Yeah. Cool. And uh, thanks and keep up the great work from DM Dan. Thank you, DM Dan. Thanks, Dan. The last one comes from... The uh, Dead No Save is his name. (laughs) (laughs) And this is in reference to Volume 1, Issue Number 21, about evil PCs that we did way back in the day. Oh, boy, I got to step in the Wayback Machine here. (laughs) He says, I'm not getting why people seem to be against playing evil PCs. The point of role-playing games, and he puts that in very large capital letters, is to be someone you're not, capital letters. I don't raise undead or rob travelers or plot to destroy the world, despite what my teachers used to tell my parents. Ha. Anyway, I come from a school of who cares what the stats are or powers you get. Just play, just role play the heck out of your character no matter what. People seem to crap all over playing evil characters. Even if you are playing one evil PC in the party, read. I am not the guy who always has to be the evil PC who's effed up the good party. But... If you're not a first-time player, then don't act like a nine-year-old. It could be one of the most fun things to play. Sorry for the rant, just my two cents. Thanks for putting on work in the podcast that you do, and thank you and respect to you all. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think the main problem is it encur- if you have a mix of good and evil PCs, it encourages inter-party conflict of the characters, and at which point that could easily spill over into you're no longer having conflict among the characters, but now you're having conflict among the players. 
Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people frown on it. If everyone's evil, then you can go and be evil together. It's kind of like the game White Wolf made, Human Occupied Landfill. If your party hasn't killed each other within the first 30 minutes of playing, you're playing it wrong. Uh, It's a horrible, vile, nasty game that encourages very uh, evil, debaucherous behavior. And that's what could happen if you have the wrong mix of players when you throw in an evil PC and some good PCs or even all evil. They start uh, getting a little too chaotic and just causing a little too much conflict instead of having... The story be the driver. It's the interpersonal relations of the party that's driving the story at that point because they're constantly trying to backstab each other. It all depends on the type of evil character you're playing. That's true because I did play a lawful evil character, assassin posing as a merchant in my uh, last face-to-face group for the longest time and screwed over the group many times, but they didn't know it was me. I just played lawful evil and stuck to the role. Right. It, it all... You can be evil, but still work alongside good deceptively, or mm-hmm. and you're still moving a story along as opposed to just chaos in the party. Everyone's stealing from everyone. Everyone's hacking at everyone. And well, I would definitely say chaotic evil wouldn't work good in the party full of good good people. So right, yeah, it, that would just be bad, very bad. And then, especially depending on what your classes are, if you have a paladin. Yeah, that evil, that chaotic evil character just, it, he would be, why am I standing next to this evil person? There better be a good story reason why he has to cooperate at that point and not smite oh, him on the spot. Another good thing about paladins that we probably never really touched upon, I think we might have, of paladins detecting evil. Now, if a character's in the group that's evil, do you guys think that the paladin, as soon as he detects evil, would automatically detect that person? Uh, yeah. Or, I absolutely protect him because he's not doing an evil act. No, it's it doesn't matter if the act. Evil's it's the, the alignment soul. of the the it's the alignment of the character. Okay, right. Chad, what, right. Otherwise, well, okay. Would... I mean, obviously, I I have no problem with evil characters uh, PCs because I played one for a long time. Uh, actually, two, if you count my paladin, who during the uh, glacial rift of the frost giant jarl. Uh, spit on the altar of the elder elemental god and was promptly turned lawful evil. Uh, <laughs> that was a fun one. It's in the it's in the module. Uh, but uh, anyway, it you know it, again, it, I think you hit on it very well, Vince, I, uh, when you said chaotic evil is one thing, lawful evil is another thing because yeah. lawful evil gets a bad rap and people don't always understand lawful evil uh lawful evil you could have a king of a of a uh, you know who is lawful evil and he could be a very effective king mm-hmm. uh crime will be very low uh he will rule with an iron fist yeah but you may have low crime you uh laws <laughs> they may not be totally fair but they will be enforced and they will be consistent. Uh, you know, they get a bad rap. Lawful evil is the one evil alignment that could very easily work within mainstream society. Now, barring a paladin in the party who who sees his 
you know, your your PC's lawful evil aura and, you know, knows that despite your, you know, your actions, you are lawful evil. Uh, barring having that guy in the party, they can work very well in a party. They're not out to screw the party. Lawful evil is not about screwing everybody every chance you get. Lawful evil is about adhering to a code but doing so always thinking of yourself first right there this it's an alignment of might makes right yeah. exactly yeah, they're lawful it's very, selfish it's 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 a very darwinian alignment it's survival of the fittest when it almost with lawful evils like yes there are laws and everything but you know it's, there's a packing order there's unlike chaotic evil where everybody's out for themselves well chaotic evil simply lacks the self-control or In the order. foresight that yeah. a uh, – because, I mean, let's face it. When you say lawful evil, you have to look at both words, right? You're mm-hmm. evil, but you're lawful. That means mm-hmm. you exhibit uh, self-constraint uh, and you're probably a forward-thinking person who adheres by a set of codes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, uh, you know – uh, chaotic evil is just that they're evil, but they're also chaotic. They have yeah, they no self control, right? Right. They 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 act. They're very spontaneous. They act. Uh, they're very impulsive. They're impulsive yeah. and they're evil, and that's a bad combination uh, for any party because they act on impulse, mm-hmm. uh, and their impulse is always to do what is whatever they think at the time. The short term is good for them. So they might not be, you know, but then you got to also take other things into account. What is the character's wisdom? What's his intelligence? Is he, you know, if he's What's got a character he, class too. Yeah. I mean, if he's a smart character and he's chaotic evil, you know, if he's got a wisdom of 18, he's not going to be so unwise as to kill off his whole party before they go in and face the big baddie. Right. Because then he'd be facing. Yeah, by himself, or he's not going to get the treasure that he's probably there to get anyway. Uh, you know, so again, how impulsive is chaotic evil? Look at their wisdom. You know, wisdom's not a dump stat that everybody thinks it is. Wisdom, in many no, ways, is your constraint. <laughs> yeah, charisma is. But you know, seriously, your your wisdom is your constraint. Kind of, it's how wise you are. It would not be very wise to kill your party. Before you have to face the thing that's guarding the treasure you want, right? Yeah. And if you're a very wise character, you probably have more self-constraint than a guy who has a seven wisdom. But lawful evil is good because no matter really how wise you are, you still live by a code that you try to adhere to. Now, you could be very unwise and have a very bad set of codes, I <laughs> don't really but as long as you as long as a character told me in advance what is his uh ethos what is his code of conduct that he tries to follow you know if if he's playing by that code of conduct even if if he does something stupid but if it's by that code of conduct you know I see no problem with it and and this is this is all well and good at what what you've said and what Matt said but okay, with all with lack of better term, let me play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is assuming that everybody that you're playing with 
is a relatively mature player. Ah, yeah. Now, exactly. that is the crux of the whole situation, is it not? But because, what if you're lawful evil and you haven't screwed the party? Uh, well, uh, well, that's all well and good. But I'm talking about the player, not okay, the then character. That's something you can't really control. That's, that's There the bad lies the issue. It's not necessarily <laughs> the characters. It's so a lot of it has to do with the players, how they play those characters. Yeah. Now, I don't... I. I, and I fully agree with you on Chad on you know as far as having evil characters in the party. Lawful evils will work in a party. Chaotic evils, not so much, or neutral evils. If you're talking a mixed uh, alignment party, you know a mix of good and evils in in the party. Mm-hmm. Now, now, when it, like I said though, when it comes down to the players, you know I've been I've experienced. Over the years, I've had people who said, you know, they're just playing their character, but they do some complete asinine things and screw over the party. That's when you as... And they go under the the so-called umbrella of, well, I'm just playing my character's alignment. I'm just playing chaotic neutral. Yeah, or yeah, even chaotic neutral, which is basically insane anyway. Right, but but that's when you got to go up to to the player and kind of pull yeah. them to the side and say, all yeah. right, you, why did you do that? And they say, well, I'm just playing my alignment. I'm chaotic evil or yeah. I'm lawful evil, right. you know? And I say, all right, fine. Okay. In the case that they're lawful evil, I would probably say, okay, uh, explain to me how what you just did is lawful evil. Right. You just totally screwed yourself as well as the rest of the party. Right. That's and neither that, lawful. That's one of the th- issues I have with the person <laughs> who wrote in, because they're assuming that everybody that they're playing with, is a mature and insightful type of of player, which not every person is. So really, at the end of the day, I guess, yeah, you're you're right. At the end of the day, the problem is not with the character's alignment. The the problem is with the player. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It is. It really does. Yeah. You know? It's like Jim Wampler says, the problem with players is most of them are chaotic neutral. Yeah. (laughs) The player is chaotic neutral playing a lawful evil character. Yeah. By the way, I've seen more than my share of uh, of of people who play lawful good, who are the greediest son of a guns I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I constantly, I it, I recently uh, had a paladin in, in my party uh, who he just didn't get it. After I don't know how many conversations I had with him. You know, he was the first one to uh, to uh, to try to jump for a magic item. You know, when they were divvying out the treasure, and I'm like, dude, what part? You don't get lawful good, do you? <laughs> you don't get playing a paladin. Period. Yeah. yeah, it's you don't just get to say you're lawful good and then do anything you want. Right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, in, in that situation, you know, I almost say that it doesn't even at that point matter what alignment you're allowing because if the player is the player could play lawful good, and if they have no idea what they're doing, they're gonna they're, they're gonna play it the way they are at the end of the day. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're the type of guy who wants all the good treasure and and you can't you can't just call your character lawful good and justify it, you're gonna cause just as much party strife as the guy that is chaotic evil. Yeah. Sure do. Sure. Sure do. Mm. So I guess I would answer Show this. enough. Yeah. 
if we're only looking at a perfect world scenario where all players are mature, I have absolutely no problem with a good role player uh, taking on. And this goes in a, in another direction too, because this is another issue that that comes up, and it it came up with the same player, by the way. Uh, sometimes your character gets turned evil against your will, or or well, yeah. you want it. And the poster uh, who brought this question up brings up a good point when he says it's role-playing. And I always stress this to my players. I say, look, not everything that happens to your character is going to be what you wanted to happen to your character. That's right. Yeah. But oh, I want to yeah. see how you role-play it. I want to see you, you roll with it. I want to see you embrace – you know, it's like acting. I want to see you stretch. <laughs> acting. Yeah, it's act. It's acting. Pull no, my finger nobody, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see. I want to get you out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. and I want to actually see you role play this character because that's mm-hmm. the only way your character is ever going to have more than one dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I now have the idea of an interesting sociological experiment to conduct at a gaming convention. Run oh. a part. Run a. a a module or an adventure or something, but have all the care- pregens be evil, and see what happens. Oh, oh yeah! Try playing Amber sometime, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which you know the people who play Amber obviously like the books that it's based off of. But that's always a fun game if you want to see how an entirely evil party can get along. <laughs> And it's why a lot of D&D players don't like the game Amber, not just because it's diceless, but they don't like the dynamic of the game because it's a game where... What is this diceless game you speak of, sir? I do not understand. Oh, it's great. I'll have to tell you about it sometime. No, no. It it sounds... It's wrong. Most D&D... It works, actually. It it sounds counterintuitive. It's bad and wrong. That's a discussion for another time, but I will just say it works. Uh, But... That no, said, no, no, I disbelieve. <laughs> well, the dynamic though of the game though is this: that everybody is out to get for themselves. Yeah. Oh, just like the real world. Why would mm-hmm. I want to play that? <laughs> that? But it's fun because it's so Machiavellian. Yeah. That Sound- if you can get into it, it's it's a great time. Yeah, it sounds like I'll take your word for human it. Human occupied landfill by White Wolf, except human. The premise of human occupied landfill is basically you're all on a penal island. No. <laughs> And you're all evil human beings. And, yeah, it's kind of like Escape from New York if you couldn't escape. <laughs> well, Amber's more along the lines of nobody trusts, you know, you trust a stranger before you trust your relative. Okay. But that said, because you know that they're out to get their own and they know that you're out to get your own, deals can be made and, and you're always having – you, you got to really think about, you know, you, you have to plan and you have to – you could tell you could try to make a, a truce with somebody, but no matter what you tell them, you know they're going to know there's an ulterior motive you're doing it. But they might still help you because they're now weighing: does their benefit outweigh any danger that they might, you know, uh, that they might be in by working with you? So it's kind of like one of those deals where you know the other guy's trying to get you, or not get you, but you know the other guy's trying to benefit himself and not you. But does working with him also benefit you? Sounds cool, but it has no dice. Anyway, moving along. <laughs> Jeez, Nick. Poker doesn't either, but it's a good game. 
I'll take your word for it, but it has no dice. Anyway, um, sorry, diceless. It's just, I don't know. It's You it's haven't just, played it, dude? Until no. I first no. heard of it, I was the same way. But anyway, no. it's, a, it's a game conversation, concept, dynamic, or whatever for another topic. But I'm just, I, I brought it up, though, because it is a game where everybody plays evil. And, and it can be a lot of fun. Yes. And not devolve into everybody killing each other. No, no killing. <laughs> anyway, that wraps up Sage Advice. If you'd like to contact us, RFI staff at gmail.com, 570-865-4210. Nick, be quiet. 4210 is the hotline. And if you'd like to uh, voice your opinion against Nick or against Jeff, it's right in with uh, your foe or uh, – what is the other one now? Forward, whatever. Against or pro, whatever it's called, just write pro it. Pro or con? Yeah. Pro or Pros or con. Pro or con. Yeah. I was going to say four or fee. <laughs> four or against. Five or four? Yeah. <laughs> or unless you want to be remain neutral like Matt and just stay quiet in the background because your microphone's not working, but, you know. <laughs> I just prefer to think of Matt as a monk. Mm-hmm. Or a druid. Whatever. He's, he's not talking right now, so he definitely is a monk. Taking <laughs> <laughs> a vow of silence. Yes, like I said, in AD and D, the monk I always thought of the friar. So, exactly. Oh, uh, let's not go down that road. And clerics use blunt weapons only. Uh, uh, <laughs> and at the table matters on note. Come to the world. <laughs> Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. All right, here we go, folks, in the table manners, and this is—I'm really excited about this one because I love—I—I am so excited. Did you wet your pants excited or? No. (laughs) Are you feeling a little bit verklempt? I'm a little (laughs) verklempt. The Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman. Discuss. Um, Talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. Coffee Coffee talk. talk. Coffee talk. Anyway, we are going to talk about. One of my favorite anime shows, oh. which was based off of an actual D&D campaign, Record of Lotus War. Yay! Yay! Love Record of Lotus War. And anybody who's not familiar with it, just stop the podcast right now. Go to YouTube, type it in, and watch the series because they're free um, on YouTube now. It's been for a few years. And um, the basically... The, the like I said at the very beginning was it's based off of somebody's D and D campaign I think that was run sometime I think in the early eighties in Japan eighty six yeah. yeah early mid eighties and then um, they hit upon I I guess they tried to sell the idea at the TSR and TSR declined it well actually let's back up a second here maybe yeah. Chad because you Chad you lived in Japan so you might be able to do, uh, uh, help us out here. They say it was based on a replay. What what exactly is a replay considered in Japan? Mm, that one has me a little stumped. Yeah, the, the replay was like in the first edition of DMG, how it had that example of play with the different character uh, players saying what their character is doing. That's yeah. what a replay was. And it was put into a Comptic uh, magazine. And that's um, where it aired. Uh, first was uh, printed, and it gained popularity in that magazine, and it just spun out from there. Also, it was kind of like 
how we do now with some people post their game sessions, but right. it, it was already it was printed out in a magazine. Yeah, it was oh. a printed actual play, basically. So oh, it was okay. a transcript of actual play then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Replays are not novels, but transcripts. I'm looking up. So it was transcripts of game sessions of this yeah. campaign. Okay. Go Very cool. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> The group was SNE, which I think went on to make a lot of video games, didn't they? Uh, didn't they, they make a they comedy a show on Saturday Night Live? Oh, yeah. that was SNL. Uh, Never mind. So SNL. Yeah. They actually made a lot of RPG stuff, just print. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So. They did. They, and they also did, they had the license to print um, U.S. Uh, RPGs in Japan. And I think D&D was one of them for a while. So. But they made their own game system for Lotus War. But we'll we'll talk about that later. But the premise behind Record of Lotus War is there's this one planet, and there was this it's Earth. Yeah, it's basically like Earth. But there was this great battle between the God of Light Phallus and the God of Darkness Phalaris. And I, I just love the beginning of the show, and they transcribed it into the uh, uh, the role playing stuff. Where it says, Eternity has come to an end. The heavens shook. The armies of Phallus, the supreme god of light, clashed with those of Phalaris, the supreme god of darkness. In the seemingly endless battle, the earth wept and the oceans trembled in fear. The final battle between the survivors, Marfa, the mother goddess of creation, and Cardus, the malevolent goddess of destruction, echoed to the ends of the earth. And at the climax of the fierce battle, a continent separated, creating a land in which both the goddesses of light and darkness perished like a flame and flickered away. Several thousand years later, the land to the south of the continent of Alacrast had become known as Lodos, the accursed island. And that's how the show begins. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. So... I don't know, Vince, where do you want to kind of go from here to talk about Record of Lotus War? I guess we could talk about the characters. Yeah, we could talk about the characters, but um, the Record of Lotus, the continent, is where most of the animation takes place or most of the story will take place. uh, The good forces will try to uh, go around and stop the evil forces coming from the the small island of Marmo to the south of the continent of Lotus is where the evil witch... uh, I think Grey Witch, right? If I'm correct, Grey Witch Carla. Yes. Yeah, they called her the Grey Witch. Right. Grey Witch Carla uh, decided to that she wanted to uh, rule the land of Lotos and decided to uh, convince Ashram, the lead villain character in the uh, animation, to gather up an army with his uh, dark elf companion uh, Pyrotus. I'm mm-hmm. saying that correctly. And uh, they bring a, an army of goblins and uh, orcs over to the uh, main island of Lodos to take over the kingdom. Uh, so the the good side is led by a, uh, a f- not so not so well received knight named uh, Parn. Parn, yes. Uh, I guess his father was a failure, so they kind of just brushed him off as a failure too. And uh, he his whole point of this. Not only to lead the ragtag bunch of adventurers, but is also to prove himself to be a uh, qualified knight again in, in the eyes of the king of uh, mostly of Valis. They mostly it's mostly a Valis they focus around as a kingdom inside of Lodos. There's a bunch of other kingdoms as well. Uh, there's a kingdom of flame as well, and uh, they do touch upon that kingdom. 
did they think they touched upon one more? Maybe Moss was the other one they touched upon. Yeah, Moss. Yeah, they talk about a little bit about Valis, at least in yeah. the book. And they do meet King Fawn. Is that Farn? Fawn? I, I think King Fawn. Fawn, yeah. Who uh, who believes a little bit in in Parn, but doesn't really? Yeah, well, because he knew Parn's father. He was part of the the uh, the. Well, he was he was part of the King Fawn's army, is if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, what is interesting, mostly about this, is that uh, Parn has a uh, a female high elf with him the whole time called Deedlet. Deedlet. And if you kind of read a little bit about the RPG or the manga, uh, you find out that high elves are very rare as opposed to adventuring wise, mostly half elves or I think there was another term for it. Uh, maybe another. Anyway, high elves are not the ones that usually adventure, but she does go along on the adventure and is uh, the equivalent of a magic user the whole time. They do have a, I believe a, uh, another magic user. I can't think of his name offhand. Nick helped me. Yeah. Deedlet was she was kind of like a fighter magic user. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I would I would determine I would term her as a fighter magic user because she did have a sword. We did have the uh, the wimpy woodchuck. Who was yeah, woodchuck who was a thief. Who was a thief. Uh, you talk like this. Yeah, for real. <laughs> if you read the the actual manga and uh, uh, books, he was more of a selfish rat bastard. I want to say. Yeah. As opposed to the anime made him into a befumbling fool that was kind of goofy and didn't know how to do his thieving abilities. But in the actual books, he was an amazing thiever, a thief person. Yeah, so basically the adventuring party, you got you got Parn, who's, I guess, you he might be a paladin, maybe a cavalier. I'm going to say more of a cavalier. Yeah, I would say more of a cavalier. Um, Deedlet, who's a high elf, who's a fighter magic user. Yeah. Then you have the dwarf. I forget his name. Is it Gim? Gim. Yeah. Yeah. Gim, who is, I would say he's straight off fighter. Dwarven fighter, yeah. He's a dwarven fighter. You have the one cleric who worships the, the goddess of light. And um, and then there's Slain. And there's Slain. Who's also another magic user, but I think he's more of a... I don't know. I, I kind of, from reading it and... and, and Watching the anime, yeah, he's more like a sorcerer than a magic user of anything else. Yeah, because there's three different types of magic, and we'll talk about that later in the show. Yeah. So, because yeah. they they yeah. have their typical sorcerers, they have their spirit magic and their divine magic. So, yeah, well, this, yeah, the you have your divine magic, which is kind of like what your clerics use, and so you have. But their sorcery, I guess, I don't know, it would translate into the D&D system. Well, yeah, you can find later editions with these certain character classes and just pull them back for. Mm-hmm, yeah. For doing this. What's interesting is it, it's uh, its own land. It has its own uh, mo- monetary system as well. Uh, I think it's called Royal Pieces for its monetary system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has its own kingdom set up, which we can give you a link to the map of the land of Lotus. Uh, I, I do find it very interesting that you can you can definitely run a campaign easily in here, even though you've never read the actual manga or the or, or witnessed the anime. You can run something in here, and it's pretty easy because uh, the kingdoms are pretty much set up as they are based on yeah. the map, and you can just pull in whatever you want based off of uh, the wiki information and just plan it however you want. It's kind of like playing in a Greyhawk area. Uh, maybe not as much information as Greyhawk, I probably think. I think one of the reasons why I like the series so much was it 
it just fits so well into the D&D concept. I mean, besides being it originally a D&D cans campaign, it just there's just such a great high story arc with the with the whole anime which is is fantastic. You can get so much inspiration from that. It's just amazing. There's there's so much detail to it. It it would we could we can do several episodes just on the anime, you know? Yeah. And that's why I'm just saying to people, you got to watch the episodes. Watch the first few and then you're like, now I can see why people dig this. Why it's so cool. Hmm. Not sure what else. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure what else to say, but as far as like in the book, um, one of the things I like, if you're going to port this over into AD&D or D&D, and I think it would work in either games, but if we're talking about AD&D first edition is, um, yeah, you can use all your standard races and classes. There might be some slight variations if you want to stick with them. Well, you might want to grab the uh, our Record of Lotus War Eternal Edition RPG. Yes. Which was made by, um, I can't think of his name offhand, but it was for the Fusion system, which I've never really heard of. Mm-hmm. I, Chad, you said it was closer to Cyberpunk? Yeah, it was Artel Soren, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and he did Cyberpunk, and it used the interlock rules, and so does... So does this game, Lotus uh, Record of Lotus War uh, by Fusion, uses also the interlock rules, which if you've ever played Cyberpunk, uh, you might be familiar with the whole life path uh, you know, uh, format, where you, when you create a character, you also create their entire life path. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that. I like that enemies, one part. Yeah, it's, it's, I love doing it because it adds so much depth to the character. It's a fun yes. way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes more time, obviously, to create the character, but when your character is created, you're not just a fighter elf. Mm-hmm. You're a fighter elf with an entire back history. Yeah, uh, which really helps you play that character and know who that character is. Yeah, at least gives you a start, especially... I would say this is even really good for um, any – you can port this to any D&D game if you have someone who's completely new to the game. Maybe they're just not familiar with the whole role-playing concept. So you can use this whole life path part and like at least give them a basis so you can roll off and say, okay, what's your basic personality? Oh, you are casual and carefree, but what do you value the most? Um, your your teacher who taught you how to be a sorcerer and what's your philosophy of life and go on and on in there. At least that gives them a starting point of how these flesh out the personality of their character. Yeah, you know, I actually just uh, uh, for grins, I decided to, to go through that life path again and, uh, you know, with this game and, you know, I came up with a character that uh, that is uh, out friendly and outgoing. He values himself the most, and he believes his philosophy is purity is honesty, or honesty is purity, or something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, he had a uh, he had a, a former lover who just didn't work out with, and her family hated him. And you know, and, and these are just little benchmarks in his life. That you can fill in, but it just it really helps as far as developing a uh, kind of a multi faceted character. 
And I would, the only thing I would say, just be careful with this. If you make sure whatever you choose kind of jives with the alignment of your character, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, one other thing I was going to bring up too, uh, you're, you guys were talking about, you know, why the world works so well. And, uh, you know, I thought, for instance, Beld, uh, he's not just a bad guy. You know, mm-hmm. he has a history and yes. he wasn't always a bad guy. He used to work for King Fawn mm-hmm. before he killed King Fawn. Yeah. But uh, in this case, you can tell, at least I think when I read this, that the, that the people who, who created Lodos, uh, the whole history of it, they were influenced to some degree by Tolkien because uh, Beld's history and how he became evil is, has a lot of similarities to Isildur. Uh, who was a good king up until the point where he actually gained possession of the One Ring. Yes. Uh, in the case of Beld, he killed this very evil demon king, the demon king of Marmo, but was bathed in its blood as a result. And the blood is what tainted him tainted and him. made him yes. evil. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, so it's like the characters are not just one-dimensional. Yeah, He's evil. Some- Parn there's some very, remi- inter- Parn there's some very intricate back- backstories going on. <laughs> One yeah. more time. Yeah, but uh, Parn actually even re- – you can kind of draw an uh, analogy – allegory to uh, Aragorn. He's got the – Yeah. Yeah. Because he's mm-hmm. – You could. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of fallen people redeeming themselves or fallen people embracing the dark. Yeah. So, well, like I said, is like there's there's some really intricate backstories going on here, because even the ones like like uh, uh, Carla, the the Grey Witch Carla, she has an intricate backstory because she was one of the original six, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. Uh, well, well, along with Wart, isn't she? Yeah. Well, yeah, she's she she's playing both sides, but mm-hmm. towards a definite end, and mm-hmm. and. It might appear at first that she's evil, uh-huh. but in reality, she's also helping the heroes. In a roundabout sort of way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's it's a game that basically I, I always enjoy games where they write a history to it that that, you know, again, gives gives the major characters that are going to be seen in this in this game. Uh, the major NPCs, you know, it makes them more than what they appear to be. Mm-hmm. Another thing I thought that was interesting, I think, I guess, kind of go along with some differences between like the races, for example, is uh, the Dark Elves are a little bit different than what you have typically in AD&D. And in, in Lodos, um, they have they have dark skin, they have of black or silver hair, but despite their reputation, this is coming from the book, not all dark elves are evil. No. In actuality, most of them are indifferent and only fight to survive in the hostile land of Marmo. But even despite though... Despite the fact that they have a bad reputation. Yes. So not all the dark elves on Lodos are bad. It's just overall the general feeling is the dark elves are evil. So there's there's a little difference there. You still have half elves, and then you have a new race, the Grass Runners. Yeah, and they're they're they remind me a lot of gnomes. Yeah, and um, 
I think they're more like halflings, in my opinion. Well, yeah. I thought they would be when I first saw that. I actually, my first thought was, oh, okay, they've renamed halflings. But when I started reading about them, they're a lot like dwarves. They're shorter, though. They have pointed ears, and they attribute themselves more to the world of fairy. Yeah. Which, to me, says gnome all the way. Yeah, they, they even in the in the in this book, the role playing book, they say they're they're kind of like half dwarves because they think they might be the product of dwarf human intermarriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, grass runners. <clears throat> you know, one of the character classes they could be is ranger. So that's one difference. If you want to bring that into a campaign, one. The to make it different is the grass runners. This type of race, one of the classes they could be is rangers. So, and you have this one other one. This one's kind of confusing. It's the Hyuri, I guess. They're but they're not a race, but it's a curse. This kind of jumps more into the next segment anyway. So yeah, let's why don't we head into our DM rules? Okay. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. And now we go into DM rules, and we're actually going to go into actually running the uh, campaign in the world of Lotus Wars. I mean, we've hit on some of the history, and it's really rich, and you can dip into whatever part of it you want because there's many different eras of Lotus Wars. I mean, there's the Age of Chaos, Age of Magic, Age of Enlightenment, First Age of Heroes, War of Heroes. So, I mean, this time spans many, many hundreds, thousands of years And you can plop it in, your characters, into any one of them. But when it comes to actually putting PCs in it, a lot of the standard classes will just fit. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's fighters, there's barbarians. You have your magic users. I mean, with the three different types of magic, I mean, you have your sorcerer, which I would just call a magic user. I wouldn't even get bogged down into thinking what we consider a sorcerer. Yeah. Because when you watch the... uh, Animate, they're still going through the motions, they're casting their spells, whether or not they get it from innate or a book. For the for the purpose of this, just say it's a magic user that uses the sorcery magic. Divine magic. Yeah, for the most part, they just call mages. Right. Right. And then for the uh, divine magic, that's your cleric. Now, the spirit magic, that's where... Okay, how do we want to go with this? I mean, I would almost consider like the spirit magic some sort of like shamanistic, so maybe like yeah, make it a druid magic. In yeah, a way. yeah. Give it a like a druid flavor because they're they seem to be very in touch mm, with. Tastes nature. like druid. Yes, yeah, because yeah, yeah, that's what it's very woody. Woody. It's got a nutty flavor. Yeah, because <laughs> that's what a deedlet actually is. She's yeah. She's one of the spirit magic users. So maybe she's a fighter druid. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the clerics are called priests, but again, yeah. it also has in captions that they're they're also called clerics. And you have some other you have some other classes too that uh, you have a knight, which essentially could be seen as either a paladin or a cavalier. Right. 
you have a soldier, yeah. uh, which is actually differentiated between that and the fighter. But a soldier is more like your, I guess, your more official, you know, member of a guard or something. They they mm-hmm. tend to be part of a standing army generally. Uh, thief is you a have thief. mercenaries. <laughs> thieves are thieves. Rangers are rangers. Uh, but you also have merchants. And you also have uh, commoners. You have commoners. Ooh, I want to play a merchant. That sounds fascinating. Or you could play a nobleman, too. Yeah. Nobleman could be actually kind of cool. Nobleman, yeah. actually, that would probably be your closest uh, equivalent to a cavalier. I would think. Again, it depends because it's a nobleman and you can really run that in a multiple you have a multitude of directions you can do this in. You have a and plethora. <laughs> a plethora, exactly. Uh, you know, if you're transferring this over to Dungeons and Dragons, you're gonna be using the Dungeons and Dragons classes anyway. At that point, now it comes down to Something we had discussed in an earlier episode uh, when we were talking about fighters, actually. Uh, and that was how you don't – there are uh, 10 different ways, at least, that you can translate a fighter into a player character. And yeah. they're simply – you know, in, their, in the fusion system, they're simply uh, mapping those various ways out into their own classes. But if you wanted to say – transfer this game over to D&D you could play a fighter who was a nobleman mm-hmm. you know you could play a mage who was a nobleman you could play a commoner uh, soldier who was a fighter uh, you could do a lot of this stuff because you're still going to be using the Dungeons and Dragons classes in this situation but the, but the transfer should be relatively painless yeah books to suggest to you as I was looking at that over the other day and I was thinking oh then using the core books of course Unearth Arcana, and I would probably borrow some things from Dragonlance just to add a little more flavor into things. Yeah, right. you probably could. Yeah. Could be very fun for doing that with the knights because yeah. the knights have different orders. Dragonlance goes over the uh, Knights of Salomnia quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely use the Unearthed Arcana because you have barbarians as an actual class in the fusion system. And obviously, you know, why reinvent? the wheel uh now if you don't want to use an earth arcana again we covered this and we talked about fighters you could still you could simply be a bar a fighter if, who is portrayed as a barbarian so you could go yeah. that route also right it's really since this originally was a D campaign things cross over really nice yeah it just goes over real Almost seamlessly. Right. The, the, since the roots are already there, at that point, it's strictly the window dressing that gives it that record of Lotus War feel. It, it's yeah, the, it's, it's your, your interpretation of your class. Right. Mm-hmm. So for playing this game, it's focused more on the story and the setting and then with the D&D classes thrown in because they fit. I mean, yeah, there's some other races that don't really quite have uh, analogous uh, comparisons in uh, D&D, like the Tabit, a bipedal rabbit race who travel around the world, unless you guys happen to know of a bipedal rabbit in uh, D&D. I do in Gamma World. Yeah, in Gamma World, (laughs) there would be lots of those. 
But there's but, also the uh, Lilla Draken, which are bipedal dragon folk. Okay, there's your draconians. Boom. How about uh, the Oriental Adventures? You can borrow from that one race in there that can. Oh, the one that like in uh, that was a duck in your game. Yeah, you can the Hengioke. Yeah, There you go. To trans, you know, transform themselves into a bipedal or a full whatever creature. Right. So maybe that's the race you could borrow from for inspiration. Right. Yeah. Borrow from that and just say instead of having the ability to transform, they're just permanently in that form. There you yep. go. You now have your. The only other ones I'm looking at is like merchant and nobleman as a class. I'm trying to think of how that would translate as far as like hit dice and. Well, I probably put them. The closest equivalent maybe would be maybe a second edition bard or a rogue as far as hit dice goes. Right. Because they have the yeah they're a merchant, but they have the ability to fight also. Uh, you know, so they probably hit dice. I would in saves. I would probably put a merchant uh, under uh, use the same rules as for a thief for hit dice and saves for a nobleman uh, might use a fighter because noblemen were taught to fight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And they practiced all the time because they had nothing else to do. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, uh, basically I think thieves as far as hit dice and saves go are about the closest you're going to get to just your average non-class NPC type character, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because thieves aren't, I mean, they, they steal and everything, but outside of that, they're not a, they're not a fighter. They're not a magic user. They're not a ranger. They're not a priest or a cleric. They're, they're just a guy who knows how to steal or, or, or to some degree haggle and bargain, right. which is exactly what a merchant is. Yeah. And then they like, yeah, some of the thief skills would, you can kind of make an argument that, yeah, they'll fit with a merchant when it comes to, uh, examining magic items and things of that nature. They're going to stumble across those in their merchant travels, and they might know, have taught themselves a thing or two on how to use this wand or what wands or whatever. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe, there's, maybe, they, maybe they're in the business of selling magic items, and they have to know a little bit about what they're selling. Right, and, and also uh, might have them know some... They can know lore of different... Like, oh... Well, this item is from this part of the world because of this kind of like the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, when you think about it, uh, it brings to mind the Silk Road from real history. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, the merchants were at the time of uh, if you go back in time to uh, at least uh, the Renaissance, uh, the merchants were probably one of the most traveled people there were. Right. Yeah. They weren't the first to go but they went a lot more than those explorers when it comes to revisiting places oh yeah yeah one blazed a path <laughs> to the east then uh there were many merchants that, uh, who went east uh to you know to purchase uh spices that they could then bring back and sell uh if if anything they were probably the prime passage uh they were probably the people who frequented those routes the most right and as as for like what weaponry i would let them use i would maybe let them pick like a weapon that perhaps in their travels they were taught to use um i could i could see them traveling to a distant land and then through like as they start uh 
bartering whatnot, they see the culture and they see someone using this exotic weapon and they're like, huh, teach me and I will give you these shinies from another land. Right, and they would have to obviously be able to defend themselves when they were making these long tracks. Exactly. And they, they would have been prime targets for bandits. Yeah, and as they advance, I could see uh, maybe giving them the followers of perhaps even like a fighter, how a fighter gets like a small army as they advance because he's a merchant. He has the money to pay the mercenaries. <laughs> right. They would hire a band of soldiers or fighters to uh, protect their precious cargo. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I definitely could see that you could – it shouldn't be too hard to transplant the character classes of Lotus War into D&D. Yeah, one – I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Well, I was looking at some of the other one, like some of the other like classes and I guess races. The one they uh, I kind of touched on earlier was the – was it uh, Hayuri? Which is yeah. it's mm-hmm. a it's not really a race or anything, but they say it's a curse. Basically, it's a berserk. Basically, someone going into a berserker rage, you have this uh, this Hayuri spirit in you, the spirit of fury, and you go into a berserker rage. When it, and and I guess there's a couple ways you can handle that into the game. One way you can handle it to where if you want to get this curse if you want to buy it because you get certain things added to you know when you get when you attack and everything but i was thinking probably the the easiest thing is just make the berserker class available yeah you know sure uh, i or I know, look in the monster manual and get the rules for how they handle berserkers yeah but i, I was yeah i was thinking like you know you can handle it as if this is an available class for a, a viable player character class because you know remember you got um what's uh who was it they had um oh, what the heck was his name who who, who was a berserker orson thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> had to come come to me but there's one character in the second series of logo lotus lotus war tales of the heroic knight is orson and he has berserker rage mm-hmm. and um so you can either have it he can maybe kind of control it though, doesn't he? he he's not. He it's can. not so much a curse for him. But it was some. probably, in my opinion, the best depiction of how Berserker Rage was ha- should be handled in a role playing situation, right. in a role playing game. Yeah. I thought it was really cool how they depicted it. Yeah. And I guess you can either play as you can have almost any class. I would say I wouldn't say clerics or magic users should be able to get this, but you know your fighters. Your your cavaliers maybe be able to go into a berserker rage, or you make a berserker class available to play. Yeah, I could see so. treating it kind of like psionics, where you roll on a chart to see does your character has your character been cursed, mm-hmm. and then no matter what class, I would even let clerics and magic users have it because what if all of a sudden in the middle of casting a ritual they raged. What happened? Uh, see, I, w- I don't know if I would. Uh, I, I guess it know. depends well, on. I would. I like that idea because, I mean, the whole idea of it, you know, most most gamers who read about the Huri, you know, they're going to be like, 
oh, cool, I want that because I'm going to be, you know, not only I'm, I'm going to play a human, but I'm going to be better than a human because I'm going to get berserker bonuses. But I would say, look, what's the first one of the first things it says about them? It's a curse. It's, it's not supposed curse. to be a good thing. It's right. supposed to be a bad thing. Right. I right. would maybe make have them make uh, some sort of uh, wisdom save in times where of great stress, perhaps like the party, they see a friend getting their butt kicked and instead of taking a deep breath, casting their magic, doing what's most effective, they fail their wisdom save. And next thing you know, they're raging and just flailing it. See, but here's the thing though. I don't think you could have it for clerics and magic users because the amount of discipline and concentration. I, you right. Need to and be but it depends on when they were touched. Perhaps they already uh, were a cleric. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's it's not class specific. It's a curse that humans yeah. get, and it would be a bad thing. You're absolutely right, Nick. It, if you are a mage or magic user, and you happen to be afflicted by this curse, it's you know it is a bad thing. It is a curse, and you may fail on some of your uh, when you most need to cast that spell. You might fail because you berserk and you don't have the concentration. Yeah. You lose See, the concentration. I don't know you if I would handle other it. Perks, but yeah. the point being is I, I would do it simply because I want to stress to the player that this is not supposed to be a good thing. This is supposed to be a bad thing. Right. And again, I want to see you stretch as a role player and, and, and take this curse, which in this case is really a curse, and I want to see how you handle it. I would I don't know. I would actually make it where I would have a berserker class. So but if see, anybody chose to play things. that. But then in most cases I find is and this is one of the issues I, I, I ever, one of the issues I have with the barbarian class which normally I don't have too many issues with the barbarian class out of uh, unearthed arcana but this was one was that every barbarian wants to be a berserker and they they refuse to see it or role play it as a bad thing. They love it because, oh, I can take damage and I can deal out more damage. And I'm like, yeah, and you might be attacking your friends. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> you know, as long as I'm kicking butt, you know, and, and I don't want my players to see what is seen by the mainstream society as a curse as a good thing. I want them to see it as a bad thing. I don't, I, you know, and, and I would make, that's why I think I would probably do what Matt was just saying and have, it not be a class, but something you roll for. Everybody makes a roll, and it's not something you want to come up positive. Hmm. Yeah, I could also see if you wanted to make it a class, have the character first pick what class they were, then they got touched by the curse well, and actually, fallen. What you could do is there is a berserker class. It's in later editions, though. Um, actually, there wasn't. Uh, October 76, issue number three of Dragon Magazine. It was actually as a non-player character class, an NPC class. Right, but didn't the Barbarian in our... I, I don't have my Unearthed Arcana on yeah. right, but I'm pretty sure Barbarians could go Berserk, couldn't they? Yeah, but yeah. you could yeah. you could port over, I think in second edition there was a Berserker class. Yeah, it was I the, think it's in the Complete Fighters book. Yes, it was. Or I know in Hackmaster... There's, I'm looking at right here. There is a berserker class, which is pretty much based off the same thing. So either source or work fine. Yeah, or you could just go to the monster manual. And it's in, well, you know, not if you're going to play it as a class. 
Right. Not if because you're gonna you don't have a... level progression or anything in the monster manual. Well, you know, you could make one up. Yeah, but I'm lazy. I'm a lazy DM. I've always said that. <laughs> so I guess it, it kind of comes down to how how the GM and the players view the berserker. I mean, is it is it something that you'd want to play as – would you see it as, as, as a benefit much like magic is a benefit to a magic user? Or would you see it the way I see it as akin to lycanthropy, which you don't want even though, you know, hey, lycanthropy gives which you some – in that fighting. Dragon Magazine issue, they did address it as is like lycanthropy. I also see the class as a good opportunity for an experienced role player to get into it. Yeah. I don't think a new person jumping into the game would be good for that. Anyone that's experienced wants something different to, you know, spice up their gameplay because they're bored with the usual would have fun playing that class and how to experience it, how to, you know, express how they feel and how to act out the character would be perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. what I mean. Yeah, there's there's two different ways you could do it. You could treat it as a um either one like as a class I would do it or you could treat it as it's a trait it's it's a cursed trait that your character has the regardless of of either your race or the class of your character so yeah you could i guess you could go either way with that yeah you know at the end of the day i guess what i you know this all ties back to what we talked about earlier uh when we talked about evil player or evil characters you know and oh, evil players i know a few of those yeah yeah i know a few of those <laughs> uh i know a few berserker players too but anyway I too. uh i think it ties back to this whole thing of how you treat it is going to have a lot to do with the players in your group uh mm-hmm. you know if they're if they're if they're relatively new players not necessarily immature players but relatively new players but you think that they have the maturity i mean i know plenty of people who could step up to the table for the first time but they would be fine if you told them well this is this is a bad thing i just want to see how you do it they'd probably do a good job uh i know plenty of experienced players who have no maturity whatsoever and and oh. simply want a power game and they would love it and totally abuse it uh uh you know it, it comes down to your players you have to yeah. look at your players and say how are they going to handle it Yep. If you think that they're you're already having enough problems as it is with your players, I would probably just get rid of it altogether. If you thought that they're good players, but they're just not experienced enough as role players to truly make something cool out of what is probably bad, then I would get rid of it as an affliction. And play it uh, as a class? Right. But if I thought I had some good players in the party who really knew how to stretch and were really not so interested in kicking butt, but were more interested in developing a character, you know, with with more than one facet, uh, then I'd have it as an affliction. And I would let the player because I know players that you could give. So you're saying my way when you couldn't develop it as a character? It seems more like in your fashion, though, it's more of something that's nice to have, and and, and I want it to be more of something that that they don't choose that's thrust upon them. Well, no, it's just a class you want to play. That's all. Yeah, and I'm not saying the way you're doing it is wrong. I'm saying, you know, it, it, it could be very cool to say I want to be a berserker. In that case, 
you know, I would hope that the player, though, was good enough that even though they chose it rather than having it afflicted on them, they would still treat it in the way that it's regarded by oh, the sure. character mainstream. Sure, yeah. sure. Absolutely. Not revel in it. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. And, and I, I guess, again, we just agree to disagree. <laughs> It's like, you know, you meet an NPC, he says he has a cure for your berserk rage. And the, no, that's all right. Uh, well, the only thing I'm thinking of is, like I said, I'm a lazy DM. I'm just going to pick what's easiest for me to run. And I'm like, I don't want to take the time. Like, okay, what's going to happen when this berserker rage happens? Okay, what's going to, how's it going to affect his stats, his combat, and everything? Well, I could just look at the berserker class. And I'm like, oh, okay. They could just play it as a berserker in there. It's all right there. Boom, done. But what if it's an affliction, and if they end up with that affliction, now you transfer the Berserker class to them? Okay, say... Well, I wouldn't do it that way. It's either... I'm, I'm not... I don't know. Yeah. What, what if <laughs> yeah. they develop this during the course of gameplay? There you go. That And that is very possible, the way it's described in this. Yeah. I could also just see the uh, player's... They're going about their day. They're dealing with a merchant who happens to be inflicted with this, and he just flies out into a fit of rage against them. You could have just some really random, explosive, unexpected encounters with this. The guy well. afflicted by Tourette syndrome. Exactly. So, like, I can have an old lady who can fly into a berserker rage and totally thrash the party. Is that what you were saying? Well, Starts throwing cats at them. Right. <laughs> 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 this class is uh, gives a whole new meaning to crazy old lady down the street. Exactly, that's <laughs> crazy why they're crazy because they throw cats at people. Now, we, okay. the only thing with that is then you have to stat out what is the damage done by a cat projectile. Well, well that's easy. One d three. Well, what if the big fat cat, like you know Garfield or something? D four, right? What about D6. The, the claws on the cat could be deadly too. Yeah. Well, no, you, you have to. Depending on how well you hit the cl- the cat, will either the cat will oh, stick gosh, on you like I barbs. What if the cat's dead and not alive? And that's pretty sad. Yeah. It's not. Yes, it is. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, we beat this one to a dead cat. Yeah, I would end it by simply saying, you're the GM. You figure out how you like to view to it, it and how but you have, think your party can handle it. And that's the thing. You have lots of options here. And I don't think any DM is going to go wrong using um, Lodos as a campaign setting for ad and I think there's such... Huge amount of information. It's it over- touch on it a little bit. Yeah, and, and there's so much in there. You just got to watch the series if you haven't watched it yet, so you can get the full idea, the flavor of the whole campaign setting. Yeah, we did talk about this a long time ago, back in Volume One, with J- when Jason was around, and and wanted to follow up on it again because so many people have asked. It's just still so much to talk about. That yeah, I mean, we could do several shows on it. I mean, seriously. Just the breakdown on the different classes and 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 the different, not just the, I'm not the different classes, but the different characters uh, of the series and the different uh, countries on the continent island, island continent of Lodos. I, I definitely would like to know an insider on the time why TSR declined picking this up. Yeah, I mean, was there any probably age? because they saw it as competition to their own Saturday morning cartoon? Well. If you well, know, it wasn't they wanted to make it into a campaign setting. Yeah, they, they applied for a campaign setting via TSR and they declined it. I think it was because 
It was during the rain years. Yeah, because tie everything. Uh, group S and E made the uh, let's see, dub the uh, record or Lotus War Companion and released it in 1989. Mm-hmm. So that's what, and the novels came out in '88. So you have to figure by the time the popularity got really big, it was in that. Lorraine, late 80s, early 90s, second edition. And what were they pushing then for our campaign world's Forgotten Realms? Right. Dragonlance a little bit more. Dragonlance, yeah. Right. Oh, it was like almost Forgotten Realms all the way because yeah. they wanted to divorce themselves from Yeah, you Grand almost Realms. know that they were lo- they were probably looking at it and saying, why would we want to promote another campaign world when we're focusing so much on the one we already have? Yeah. Right. And then also, they weren't big on licensing other people's stuff. So if they couldn't, bu- if they couldn't buy it outright and control everything, I doubt they would want it anyway. But by God, Lorraine wanted to make that Buck Rogers game. Yeah, when you're licensing it from yourself, that's different. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> and we did get a Buck Rogers game that no one cared about. Yeah. Although I'm, I, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Uh, Colin runs a great Buck Rogers game, and again, you know, you can take pretty much any game if you're a really creative GM and and able to tweak the rules right. You can come up with a really cool. I game. disagree. There are some that just cannot be fixed. I'm trying to think of a game that I know of that just can't be fixed. I'm trying to. I can tell you right now. What? Fatal. Fatal. I don't think I know that game. You don't want to. <laughs> it stands for From Another Time, Another Land. Just look it up, and you'll say, oh, my God, why? I want to wash my body now. I own it's it. It's just that wrong. It's, In the shower, huh. still position, getting wet? Yeah, you'll say, oh, no. I, I. Not only will you want to wash your eyes out with, like, you know, with soap, but you'll, like, question if there is actually a god will the, will, the, <laughs> will the song or the crying game be playing in the background pretty much yeah oh gee yeah. Wow. it's that bad it's that bad as everybody in the audience is now looking up this game <laughs> yeah well you know this you're is gonna something say to yourself, why did i download this why am i reading this this is sick <laughs> well back on the subject of lotus so i yeah, will say as far as a as far as a setting goes comparing it to your traditional D setting is a little bit in the same vein i guess as comparing uh uh eberron to it because it is different it's not i mean it, it is a little different it's got its own flavor Lotus mm-hmm. is instead of compare, you know, instead of merging steampunk into D and D, you're merging manga into yeah. D and D, which, in my opinion, right, you know, <laughs> if they had re retried to market this, if Wizards had marketed this, you know, <sighs> they could probably still do it, and it would be a huge success because we are, I believe, still in a big manga craze but i mean maybe oh, yeah. five years ago oh my gosh talk to my daughter anna who's like huge anime manga my daughter as well elizabeth yeah. loves oh, it they need to talk then <laughs> yeah exactly i mean really if you like manga and you like D, this is just made for you yeah it is absolutely right I don't really – there isn't much of an update for the manga actually since 2004 it looks like. 
as far as I could see, as far as you want to buy it. I don't think they've updated it in a while. Mm. Maybe because of, I don't know, lack of sales, I'm not sure. But the last thing I think that came out was... No, actually, I don't know. Legend of Cristania. Probably that's well the last one that came out. Did that get animated yet? Did that become yeah, anime? They had they had a movie for that one, yeah. Oh, wow. I got to watch that. Uh, it wasn't that good. Oh, well. Sorry. Still, I'll watch it because I'm a completist. <laughs> well, I definitely recommend trying it out. Uh, yep. If you're into manga and you're into D and D, I mean, obviously you're into D and D, or you wouldn't be really listening to this show. But if you're <laughs> if you're looking point. for a new setting and you happen to also be a big manga fan, uh, I recommend trying it out. You know, especially if your players and and again, I stress, if your players are not into manga, I don't know. Uh, it's but meant this... to be kind of imagined in big eyes, small mouth. You know. Yes, uh, good game. You know, Fist of the North Star, you know, think of it's 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 supposed to be manga, uh, yeah. but in D and D world, but its own. World. I do but, yeah. apologize. There is one update based on the the whole series. There is an online game coming out. Oh, it was updated on uh, 2012. They're in the process of making the Lotus online game. Yep, the, the Lotus MMORPG in development. <laughs> and worst case, you know what? Find out what's out there uh, on the internet and another source for ideas for DMs and players too. Yeah, definitely. Or pick up the manga. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, enjoy. And it does have some really good detail on the world uh, as far as guilds. It goes into great detail on guilds, the various guilds you can join. Goes into good detail. It has some really good information on the weapons. You know, it talks about steel shaft arrows and. You know, uh, it takes some of the arrows uh, that, you know, you could easily find the rules on how to use these weapons simply by going to your Oriental Adventures book because they have the various types of arrows also. So you have your damages already set up for D&D. Mm-hmm. So I guess there you have it wrapped up in a little tiny shell. Ghost in the shell? Now we're talking other anime. Oh, we're back into manga. Ghost yeah. in the Shell. Yeah, and anime too. Great series. There's a lot of really good anim- animes and manga that you can really rip off from. Oh, heck yeah. There was one I was just... A couple of years ago, I kind of found it by accident. It was The Legend of Ashlyn. Ashlyn, I think it was called. I have to look that one up and put it in uh, hmm. I just always think, you know, if you play this game... I think I would have to do this uh, every time. You know, if one of the the fighters had a mad, a really powerful magic sword, every time throughout the gaming session, the blade of the sword would just can increasingly get longer. Because <laughs> yes. if you Glow. ever seen Vampire Hunter D, oh yes. my god, lots of speed lines. Don't forget the speed lines. Bigger. Another good one is is the heroic legend of I'm gonna say it's our. Arslan. Arslan, that's how it was pronounced. Arslan, that's right. Another great anime, kind of in the style of Record of Lodos. Okay. I want to check that. I've also heard, like, uh, what is it? Um, there's another one. Uh, Rune. Rune Soldier? Rune Soldier. Yeah. Heard was pretty good. There's another, uh, Berserk, if you look up another anime. Berserk is another one that's close, close to the style of Lodos. Yeah. Yeah, Rune Soldier is more comedic, though, so... If you want to go, oh, I like that stuff too. Yeah, I yeah. One of my favorite animes ever is XL Saga, which is just the most wacky, bizarre thing you will ever wa- 
watch. Dirty pair is another one. Yeah. And all these things you can just go on YouTube and type it in. There's tons of links for all these things. You can find almost any anime on YouTube at this point now. Right. That, and if you can't find it there, go to Crunchyroll. It's basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know Crunchyroll. Yeah. It's basically like a Hulu slash uh, Netflix for anime. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a pay for a site or it's kind of like a free site almost? It's like free pay, kind of like Hulu is. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, if you have Netflix, they have a lot of anime on Yes. Netflix. Yes, they do. You know, they have uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, yeah. They have, uh, well, they have a ton. Afro Samurai. <laughs> oh, I love Afro Samurai. He was so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Samurai Jack was another one of my favorites, too. Mm. Well, I think that does it. Yep, let's put a nail in the coffin on this. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> right. Nick, Thanks, Forrest. <laughs> uh, it's Christopher Walken. I have to end this show. Whatever. You know, Lotos. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.